Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. This episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for everything you want to know about horror in the pop culture realm. From reviews, to interviews, to retrospectives, introspectives, top ten lists, whatever you want, they have it. So go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now while you're listening to this episode of the podcast. Today's episode features yet another dark history moment. Every country, every state, every city has their own urban legends. Sure, most of them are the retellings of the same old stories with localized quirks and such, but then we get the ones that take on a life of their own. Staten Island is home to a whole lot of strange stories, both based in reality and in the supernatural but none more prominent than Cropsy. So sit back and give a listen to one of the strangest urban legends I have ever heard of. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Cropsy is similar to so many other urban legends that it's almost not special in its own right. But in a sense, that's kind of what makes it special, if that makes any sort of sense. Some regale stories of Cropsy being a boogeyman-like creature, while others say he's the infamous hook-handed man who escaped from a mental asylum to terrorize locals. This garnered so much attention that a full feature-length documentary spawned from it. Seriously, it's called Cropsy, and it's great. It's a fun watch for anybody who wants the full coverage of this particular story. Now, there's a lot of backstory to this urban legend as well. Staten Island was actually home to a very specific type of hospital at the turn of the 1900s. That hospital is known as Seaview, and while today it sits in a bit of a ruinous state, even if parts of it are back to use, it was home to hundreds, maybe thousands of tuberculosis patients until it shut down in 1938. Nevertheless, over time, legends sprung to life about a monstrous man living there with nothing but vile and nefarious intentions, with children as his main focus. Shockingly enough, come the early 1970s, this urban legend may have just become real. Enter a custodian by the name of Andre Rand, He worked at the Willowbrook School for Children with Disabilities, and when it shut down, well, Rand took a turn for the worst. Now, Andre Rand wasn't his actual name. He was born Frank Rouchon, but his notorious acts kind of led him to be known by the nickname Cropsy. It's a strange name and doesn't really have any relevant bearing to who he was or what he did, but let's just take a look at who Andre Rand was that led up to the name of Cropsy. He was born on March 11th in 1944 in Manhattan, New York. From all accounts, he worked several different jobs, mostly menial labor. And that's when he was hired as a custodian 
for the Willowbrook School for Children with Disabilities. But as I mentioned, once that school shut down, his life took a drastic turn. Rand today is still considered one of the most notorious criminals Staten Island has ever known, and this is largely due to the nature of his crimes. No, he wasn't the highest ranking serial killer in terms of murders. No, he wasn't notorious for robbing hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars from a bank. No, his crimes were much more personal, they were much more vile, and they're probably the lowest form of crime anybody could ever commit. There should have been some red flags, as Rand's behavior prior to the crimes he committed were less than savory. Some early crime records state that Rand picked up a group of 11 children from the YMCA located in Staten Island on a school bus. He purchased meals for them without consent from any of their parents and took them to the Newark Liberty International Airport in the state of New Jersey. Now it's important to note that none of the kids were harmed in this encounter, but Rand was eventually arrested and served 10 months in jail for unlawful imprisonment. Now by today's standards, he probably would have got a lot more jail time, and it probably would have been more than just unlawful imprisonment. You gotta throw the word minor in there, and then you get a lot longer of a jail sentence. And rightfully so. But that was just the start of his known criminal activities. Now, I know I've covered serial killers and child murderers and crimes featuring children in the past, but this guy, something just doesn't rub the right way. Not that any of the other ones did, he just sort of stands out as a little bit creepier than the average criminal. Now, once he lost his job at Willowbrook, as opposed to finding his new profession, he decided to camp out in the woods of Staten Island, apparently near the at the time, ruins of Seaview Hospital, which kind of gives more credence to the urban legend of Cropsey. Now, as he camped out there, he decided, well, I guess it was time to up his game in the criminal aspect. And thus, the once urban legend of Cropsey became the reality of Andre Rand. Though people would often tell stories of the fictional Cropsey, those began to kind of disappear as the bodies of children began to pile up. And once Rand was left to his own devices after losing his job and living in the woods on a small cot in a rundown makeshift sort of shack, he decided it was time to abduct somebody. Now between the school's closing and the early 1970s, several young girls went missing, and the first of those was five-year-old Alice Pereira. The community was shocked on July 10th, 1972, when the toddler seemed to vanish into thin air while playing in her neighborhood just a few miles southeast of Willowbrook. By this point, Rand had already served 10 months in prison, remember, for the abduction of several children, so he's probably already on police radar. Yet despite him being on the radar and being the number one suspect, there simply wasn't enough evidence to convict him. However, the little girl was never seen again. Over the course of his crime spree, there were several missing girls. On July 15, 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes went missing. Her parents filed a missing persons report, 
While several witnesses claimed to have seen the girl with Rand shortly before her disappearance, once again no actual evidence led to any actual arrest. Two years later, Rand became the primary suspect once again when an 11-year-old girl by the name of Tia Hees Jackson disappeared. In 1984, 21-year-old Hank Goforio vanished. These unnerving incidents left a town in terror, and especially so because nobody was ever apprehended. It wasn't until three years later that the police finally caught a break. In 1987, Jennifer Schweiger, a 12-year-old girl born with Down syndrome, was reported missing. On July 9th of that year, the search for her or her body lasted 35 days and ended in trauma. Schweiger was found dead in a shallow grave on the former property of the Willowbrook State Hospital, according to the New York Times. Quote, When we dug it up and found a little foot there, said Bob Devine, a volunteer on the search committee for Schweiger, it's something that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. End quote. Rand had already been arrested in connection with Schweiger's kidnapping before the girl's corpse was discovered. He was caught lying to reporters, claiming he had never met the girl, which contradicted statements by numerous witnesses. And then he changed his entire story once his defense lawyer heard about these individual accounts. When Schweiger's body was found, Rand was charged with her murder, in addition to kidnapping. While the jury couldn't come up with a verdict on the murder charge, they did convict him of first-degree kidnapping. That was in 1988. And according to the New York Daily News, although there wasn't enough evidence at the time, Rand was found guilty of Hughes' kidnapping in 2004, over two decades after she went missing. Since there is no statute of limitations in New York for first-degree kidnapping, it was possible to charge and convict Rand of the crime. He was given an additional 25 years to life, sentence on top of the one he was already serving. All in all, the Staten Island Boogeyman sits behind bars to this very day for the kidnappings of Holly Ann Hughes and Jennifer Schweiger, and won't be eligible for parole until 2037. Provided he lives that long, he'll be 93 years old. According to Staten Island Live, Rand sent numerous letters to the advance while behind bars. These were neatly written Mother's Day letters and directed at, quote, all the ladies on Staten Island who supported prosecutorial vindictiveness against an innocent person. Further on with the quote, he says, Should I become a millionaire, it would be my true nature to grant all of you with each an envelope full of seeds to plant and cultivate a rose bush that produces roses every season as a token of my heartfelt forgiveness year after year rather than bouquets of rosebuds which blossom and shortly dies out. His last writings came nearly a decade after his last correspondence with the paper. In November of 2001, he sent them a batch of mail, some of which dated back to 1994. These were just as precisely written and drafted, so neatly that it seemed a ruler had lent him a hand. The letters included thorough arguments against the nuclear arms race, nostalgic memories of racing hot rods as a child, and emotional pleas to develop a kind of correspondence with an old man for friendship. He also included a sketch of a small airplane and the interior control panel along with it. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, that Cropsey turned into a feature film, a documentary, and it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2009, where it won the Grand Jury Prize for its engrossing narrative and deft production. 
The filmmaker's approach here was to posit to an audience whether or not the local urban legend had any actual warranted ties to the life of Andre Rand. For some of the people who experienced those years on Staten Island and were involved in finding these missing children, a boogeyman figure didn't even come close to portraying Rand's macabre psyche. Donna Katungo, the president of Friends of Jennifer for Missing Children, which is a volunteer group that still searches Willowbrook's 385 acres twice a year in search of the other missing girls, said, quote, I call him the Hannibal Lecter of Staten Island, which says a whole lot. He terrified a whole community and still haunts us, she added. In the end, Andre Rand has been caught and imprisoned and won't be seeing the world anytime soon, nor walking amongst civilians in the great outdoors, let alone children. Nonetheless, what he did in his early years left behind a massive psychological trauma, young lives robbed of their futures, and an urgency of recovering more bodies. Thankfully, Rand will never be a threat to society or the community of Staten Island ever again. But what went wrong with Andre Rand. How could police miss such an obvious target? I mean, he abducted 11 children prior to this, and he took them to an airport. If that doesn't scream nefarious intentions, I don't know what does. Although he never did hurt any of those children, it was a massive precursor to what happened. And throughout all this, Rand still professes his innocence, that he had nothing to do with the missing children, or the 21-year-old man which, to be fair, would be a massive jump in terms of victimology. It doesn't quite fit his demographic, does it? And, to be fair, he was never charged or arrested with that either. Nevertheless, Rand was a creepy, disturbed individual who was very good at covering his tracks. Remember, while he was charged with first-degree murder, he was never convicted of it. There just wasn't enough evidence. However, I am unsure on how they did not find him guilty of murder as they found Jennifer Schweiger's body. He was charged with the kidnapping of her, but not the murder. Does that imply he had a partner? Does that imply that she died of her own devices? Maybe elements got her? It's very difficult to say, but the fact of the matter is he was never actually charged with a murder. Nevertheless, his crimes against children and humanity in general are notorious, and it didn't land him the infamous nickname of Cropsey, the urban legend of Staten Island. My name is Casey, and if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Any five-star reviews that I do see will be read out on the show, so if you do want a shout-out, that is the best way to do it. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media at Horror Shots Prod as in production on Twitter, or even Musky Fox, F-A-U-X, is my personal account. You can find the podcast on Facebook as well, at Horror Shots, or even on Instagram, at Ominous Origins Pod. Lastly, if you do want to support the show, showing your pride with some merch and helping the show financially, you can do so as well by checking out my Redbubble store, with the link in the description. There's a whole bunch of great stuff on there from original designs to just the ominous origins logo whatever you prefer so until next week